This episode of Historium is sponsored by Blueberry. Blueberry is the gold standard in podcast hosting, and that's why we use it to host all of our podcasts here on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. If you would like to get started in making your own podcast and are looking for a way to host it, or you're using another podcast hosting platform and simply want to switch, you can get one month free podcast hosting through Blueberry if you go to orbitaljigsaw.com history. My name is Jake Barton. Welcome to Historium. This is episode 58, The Battle of Los Angeles. February 24th, 1942. Los Angeles, California. It was 64 degrees as the sun sank over the Santa Monica Pier, but you could still feel it in the air. Couples on the beach looked over the Pacific with awe, but also with uncertainty. Men at a diner in Highland Park some veterans of the First World War debated over newspapers describing the Pearl Harbor cleanup effort, wondering if this new world war would be as deadly as the first. Families gathered in living rooms in the Hollywood Hills to listen to FDR give a fireside chat radio broadcast about the war. Young men from all over Los Angeles lined up to serve. Some shipped off to training, while others were stationed in the city itself, prepared to defend the City of Angels from any attack. And that night, an attack seemed imminent. At the very same time FDR was giving his fireside chat, an Imperial Japanese submarine breached the waves just north of Santa Barbara and opened fire with its onboard artillery. The bombardment was aimed at the Elwood oil field, but most shells missed their targets. The submarine sank back into the sea, having caused only $500 in property damage. The attack's impact on American morale, however, was far more successful. The west coast of the United States had never felt so vulnerable. The military brass in the U.S. Coast Guard and Naval Intelligence feared the shelling north of Los Angeles was just the beginning. As word of the attack spread that night, many west coast residents believed that the Japanese were going to storm their beaches at any minute. As dusk settled over the city, some families feared the worst. Young mothers, some with their hair still in curlers, piled the kids into the Ford Roadster or Lincoln Town Car before their husbands sped out of the driveways, heading inland to Bakersfield or Palm Springs. 500 U.S. Army troops moved into the Walt Disney Studios lot in Burbank to defend the famed Hollywood facility and nearby factories against enemy sabotage or air attacks. Troops stationed on military bases and in new anti-aircraft platforms throughout the city were all placed on high alert. A subtle panic spread through the city. Somebody heard from a friend of a friend who worked at Fort MacArthur that an invasion was all but guaranteed. The folks at Pearl Harbor didn't see it coming, but here in Los Angeles, they wouldn't be caught off guard. As twilight turned to night, everyone from worried Coast Guardsmen to washed-up silent movie stars couldn't sleep. An Eagle Scout snuck up onto his roof and looked towards the Pacific with binoculars, ready to report the first wave of Japanese invaders. Workers on night shift took twice as many spoke breaks as usual. As they tossed their cigarette butts to the ground, they'd warily look up at the sky before returning to the paper mill or motel or 24-hour diner. Other workplaces simply shut down. Storefronts in downtown and Burbank were ordered to close and turn off their lights. Some civil defense officials ordered neighborhoods to go completely dark and dispatch local police 
to order every light shut off to confuse overhead planes. The streets were flooded with cars filled with people trying to flee inland. In newly created bunkers still smelling of plywood, fresh recruits in their new uniforms and crew cuts intently kept their eyes on the skies. Sometime after midnight, a young Lance Corporal manned an anti-aircraft gun in a makeshift bunker on top of a warehouse in Long Beach. The ocean waves were just audible, even over the buzzing of the radio. His eyes had been trained on the clouds for hours when he saw it. A flash, a glint of light in the clouds. His heart pounded. The Japs were here. He squeezed the trigger. A burst of yellow streamed out of the barrel of the anti-aircraft gun. The other soldiers on the rooftop scrambled to their positions. Other nearby anti-air positions opened fire as well. They must have seen something too. Within a minute, air raid sirens went off across the city. Volunteer air raid wardens tumbled out of their beds and grabbed their boots and helmets. The few neighborhoods that hadn't already enforced blackouts now went dark. Dozens of searchlights probed the skies. Orange strings of tracer rounds from flat cannons danced in the night. The men arming the anti-air defenses were sure they had to have struck one of the Japanese bombers or zeros right above the clouds. Countless calls came in from vigilant civilians saying they spotted bombers over Silver Lake or paratroopers landing in Pasadena. A young couple looked up from their car parked at Lubbers Point in the Palisades to see the horrifying fireworks display over the city. In Northridge, a father told the family to stay in their rooms as he guarded the door with a shotgun. Policemen in their cruisers prepared to fight off paratroopers on Rodeo Drive and Hollywood Boulevard. A security guard near the Hollywoodland sign watched in horror as the city went dark, but the sky above it lit up with searchlights and gunfire. He dropped to his knees and began to pray. Intermittent gunfire could be heard throughout the night across Los Angeles. As the sun rose, the clouds began to clear above the city. The open skies that morning revealed no Japanese bombers, no strafing zeros, no descending paratroopers. The air raid sirens fell silent. By 7 a.m. on Saturday morning, an official all-clear was sent out through the city. The whole ordeal was officially deemed a false alarm. Over the course of the night, thousands of rounds had been shot into the sky, those 50 caliber rounds eventually found their way back to Earth. A pristine Long Beach golf course was peppered with stray bullets, while hundreds of homes and cars were damaged throughout the city. Hundreds of people were injured during the faux air raid, most from trips and falls from fleeing or panic. Hundreds of cars crashed in panic traffic jams or on the highway when the lights were suddenly cut. Three people died in these accidents. Hospitals filled up with cases of twisted ankles and panic attacks, Two people died of heart attacks from the air raid sirens. The morning newspapers ran wild with speculation about the nature of the attack. To combat mass panic, military leaders held press conferences within hours after the sirens stopped. Secretary of the Navy Henry Knox was quick to label the incident as a false alarm and attributed the reaction to war nerves in the wake of the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor just a few months prior. But many L.A. residents suspected a cover-up. Something had been up there, just above the clouds. Some news outlets even ran stories promoting conspiracies that Japanese submarines that doubled as aircraft carriers were lurking just off the coast, or agents had flown up planes from Mexico as a distraction. 
A few, of course, claimed it was aliens, and some historians consider the ensuing conspiracies as the true start of the widespread belief in extraterrestrial UFOs. But mostly, people blame the Japanese-American population, or really, any Asian-American living in the United States. The night of the air raid, a local sheriff had arrested several Asian gardeners, claiming they were lighting signals to guide the non-existent overhead aircraft. Despite the fact that it was not an actual conflict, many politicians would cite the Battle of Los Angeles when arguing for the implementation of Japanese internment camps. The false alarm stoked fears across the country against Asian American citizens. News of the Battle of Los Angeles drove many citizens to buy war bonds and commit to the new wartime rationing. For most soldiers in the city, the Battle of Los Angeles was their first taste of combat. The adrenaline, the nerves, the fear. Many would go on to serve in Europe and the Pacific in the coming years. Many never came back. Years later, after the Second World War, the leaders of the American occupying force in Japan asked the Imperial generals about the Los Angeles air raid. They claimed there had been no such attack. Their records backed this up as well. But this only added fuel to the conspiracy theorists' fire. A later Air Force investigation found that several weather balloons, each equipped with small lights, had been released the night of the chaos. Those weather balloons are believed to be the official cause of the first shots. Imagination and fear had taken over from there. Wartime anxiety bringing imagined enemies to life. Historium is written and produced by me, Jake Barton. My story editor is Thomas Harlander. If you're a fan of Historium, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where I post historical photos and paintings um, just about every day. If you'd like to support my work here financially to allow me to spend more time on the podcast, creating more episodes that are more in-depth and longer, you can do so on Patreon.com. And by donating there, you get access to my bonus episode feed and listen to my extra episodes there. Other ways to support the show include rating and reviewing Historium on whatever app you use to listen, or simply sharing an episode with a friend. As always, thanks for listening.